0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Confession Box 12th I believed um, and I'm joined by some very uh, interesting guests here delighted to have uh, Ian Dunn who is uh, a Scottish journalist and commentator and shrewd observer of Catholic affairs in Scotland Ian one of our most distinguished guests so far how are you doing? Thank you Brandon, delighted to be here Good stuff, and Ruan Jones who is also a, a luminary in, in his own right here uh, who is a journalist with, with the Irish Catholic, how are you doing Ron? I'm
1: doing well. I'm very well I'm
0: glad to have my hype team here like. <laughs> I, I'm available for all for all functions on events, yeah. yeah. So um, we're going to discuss this week's edition of the Irish Catholic here, dissect it in detail and as usual we're going to start with the front front uh, pieces here. So uh, of course it's, it's, it's a story that's been gripping the headlines in Ireland uh, over the last number of days and that's the very sad uh, death of John Bruton who died after a very long illness. Uh, Ruan, what what do you know about this remarkable man? Because I know he was a pillar and one of the last kind of proponents of Christian democratic values in Irish politics. So since since he's died, what what have your ins- insights been about the man?
1: Yeah, I suppose it's, it, it marks the change of an era really, or the end of an era. Uh, I'm not sure how many politicians will be remembered here for uh, here from as profound, having profound Christian faith and as uh, sort of compassionate leaders and also as uh, he, I mean, Bruton was Mr. Bruton was someone who understood the connection between spirituality, uh, politics and how those two enmeshed, particularly in the Irish context, but also in the European context. I mean, it was interesting, Archbishop uh, of Dublin, Dermot Farrell, who I believe knew uh, Mr. Bruton somewhat, he said that, you know, uh, he recognised, Mr. Bruton recognised that Europe needed its soul. It needed a vision grounded in spirituality and in a shared sense of values. And those values were Christian, they were Catholic. This is something Mr. Bruton understand quite innately. I think he was a man of uh, deep faith himself, a, a committed Christian, an active um, member of Dunboyne Parish in County Meath. So, you know, you, you've got to think that uh, the future will be, will be quite different for, for Ireland without the likes of Mr. Bruton, who, you know, was uh, an insightful commentator around the repeal of the Eighth Amendment opposing that, um, commentated around the the, uh, gay marriage referendum in 2015. I mean, you go back to, I think he's been involved in Irish politics for six decades from the 60s uh, up until the the 2010s or so. And you think of the changes that Ireland underwent in that time. I mean, this is a former Taoiseach, as I said, who was a committed Christian uh, and who took what would now be considered deeply conservative positions on what are, I suppose, the status quo in Ireland. So, yeah, it's remarkable to think of his legacy, both to the state and to his family. His, his family speak very fondly of him as a family man. Um, I mean, he led the, the, the country from 94 to, to 97 under the, the Rainbow Coalition. So a man of great political pedigree, a great family man. And as Archbishop Farrell said, a committed Christian so I think I think that's a legacy that uh, that hopefully will will last with Ireland but but really I, I sense with his passing it is as you said the, the end of a kind of Christian democratic era
0: and Ian coming from a Scottish perspective um, what's the opinion of Mr. Bruton in, in Scotland was he was he renowned or was he well known and I, I, I'd probably add to that maybe a bit of a bold question Is there any Scottish comparison to someone in politics to someone like John Bruton?
2: That's a good question, Brandon. I suppose he would be, known. he wouldn't be a particularly high-profile figure across the water. I think my observation would be almost that his time as Taoiseach is an inflection mm-hmm. point, you know, of a kind of older island, and after him, you know... Bertie Hearn comes along, jumps on the Celtic Tiger, you know, it's the Berchie like Revolution. Hair, money comes, you know, and it's a, and you've got a very different island, which is which moves towards the island we've got now. So I'm not sure there is a comparable figure mm. actually in Scotland, you know, or or even in the UK, where I mean, maybe in the UK you're talking about John Major and then Tony Blair comes in and New Labour come in and things start to change, things start to liberalise in lots of ways, you know. But I do I do just have a sense of him as the kind of last of an old guard i don't know if you think that's fair
1: yeah i think so i mean you, you think about when he he reigned as it were as t when he led the country 94 to 97 i mean what was it 99 you had the divorce referendum narrowly passing 2015 gay marriage 2018 um you have uh, the abortion referendum and i mean now potentially 2024 the year of his death you have uh the proposed changes to the mother in the home so-called clause in the constitution. So I mean the twenty-five years since since he, he ended uh, his time as Taoiseach really have been just uh, the, the changes in Ireland have been so so radical, so quick. Um and uh, as you say, yeah, I think I think probably even though he wouldn't have known it at the time, his his time as Taoiseach marked the close in in Ireland
0: as a I suppose avowedly and self consciously christian democratic nation funnily enough and it's kind of paradoxically he would admit that he Probably ushered in that reform reluctantly because I think at the time it was was when the divorce referendum was passed he was a, he was initially reluctant to support it and we had a Labour Party he brought in the left of course into politics and they were involved in that coalition and of course came with you know very well progressive views or views that were considered uh, very extreme or radical at the time but we had uh, Mervyn Taylor who was Minister for Justice I think there were a number of kind of you know very um, thorough and probing conversations with him and John Bruton in relation to the divorce referendum. And while not giving his overwhelming consent to it, he did agree that look, there are people who are in maybe situations that are pretty desperate, and and they need that they need some relief there. But again, it, it was never an abashed support. So it was kind of funny that we had probably the last maybe you know avowed Catholic member um, you know as in, uh, in our in our, in the department of, of the Taoiseach. shock, and uh, he he wasn't he wasn't necessarily you know very much pro reform. He just felt that maybe there was a necessity to do the, do the right thing at the time, you know. But no, he is a very he's a he's a very memorable figure and he will be greatly missed across Irish politics of course his funeral is taking place in Dunboyne on Saturday um, Ruan a, c- a very interesting story you've been covering with Shay Brady a journalist uh, again in the Irish Catholic in relation to uh, there was a bit of uh, upset I, 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 I believe um, shown by by women religious in Ireland over maybe the lack of significance played to St. Bridget's Christian past and and that dimension to, to to her heritage so what's going on Ruan and, and, and what are they saying about the current current characterization of St. Bridget in Ireland. Yeah,
1: thank you, Brandon. So uh, we covered a story about a a government snub for women religious on uh, St. Bridget's Day. So uh, St. Bridget's Day has now become a sort of mini St. Patrick's Day for the government where they they really try and use it to uh, push brand Ireland across the world. And it's very notable in the, the official government functions and everything that they really strove to recognize the uh, great work done by women in a variety of roles in a variety of sectors in Ireland and across the world. But it was very notable that out of these dozens and dozens of of, uh, events, only one, and and this took place in the Embassy to the Holy See, only one really focused on the role of women religious. Uh, And I mean, if you think about what they have given to Ireland, what they've given to uh, many developing countries where missionary sisters went out and and literally gave their lives um, to serving the 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 peripheries, people at the peripheries, the poorest of the poor, the sick, um, and those who are unwelcome at the time, you know, it's it's disappointing or it's uh, upsetting, as as uh, some women religious put it to us, that they won't acknowledge that this history, which is not like this, is not a, a matter of you know they need to oh go out of their way to praise women religious and the like, but they need to acknowledge that the Catherine Macaulays and Nanonagles, they laid the foundations of the Irish state. Without them we don't have uh, such a well-functioning education sector, uh, a charity sector, a uh, edu- um, health sector. I mean all of these these uh, foundational needs of the state were actually established by women religious And so to see the government not give that its due um, acknowledgement, especially on St. Bridget's Day, you know, St. Bridget's Day has only just recently been made a a public bank holiday here in Ireland, uh, which is much needed recognition for the patroness uh, of Ireland, one of our three patron saints. Uh, At at a time, you know, when we're talking about empowering women and the like, I mean, I think it's very unfair to leave uh, women religious out and also given the legacy of St. Bridget as a pioneering woman religious herself. And I mean, I think it probably, probably interesting to have this at the same time as, as the sad passing of John Bruton, because it really is pointing towards an increasing religious indifference, um, or indifference towards religion, sorry, not just on, on the part of the government, but also as, as Ireland just grows more secular generally. I mean, one woman religious said to me, they don't think it's, it's necessarily deliberate. They don't think it's necessarily deliberate omission. But it's just the case that they don't think about them anymore, um, even though they've given so much. And I mean, I'd be interested to to know Ian's view yeah. on this, and then perhaps to, to get a sense of, I mean, look, Scotland, where is it at in in this in this move and in, in religious difference and the like?
2: Yeah, no, the, the, I mean, it seems to me that there is there is this, and again, it goes back to the John Bruton stuff. There's the you know there is this new Ireland that's. Uh, It doesn't sit totally easy with its past, which is probably something it has in common with Scotland or the past are quite different, you know. And, you know, it's probably quite different for a lot of Irish people to comprehend just how important religion was to the vast majority of the population, same with Scotland. And, you know, and so now you have these things where it's like, oh, we'll make this a bank holiday and we'll celebrate this part of it. But there's a kind of a lack of understanding of exactly where you know, St Bridget is coming from, where that tradition is, and an attempt to reframe it, mm. which is a bit jarring. You know, in terms of the Scottish context, you know, I can give you a portrait of history of religion in <laughs> Scotland in the next yeah. two, in two minutes, if you want. Well, yeah.
0: exactly. That I, I think we're all very eager to find out the the state of the Catholic Church in Scotland and, and you know, if there are, there are any maybe proposals mm-hmm. for reinvigoration or something like that. Well,
2: just to very quickly give you the context, you know, Scotland Reformation comes in and Scotland adopts you Know a particularly dour, some would say, form of Calvinism, of Presbyterianism that is quite restrictive, quite different to England and obviously, you know, Ireland, which remained Catholic. And, you know, that, you know, even to the point of, you know, we didn't, and that endured for a very long time, obviously. In the 1850s, with the, the famine, the great hunger, you have a big Irish immigration to Scotland and I you know, a significant minority, which was not particularly popular at the time, you know, and that even now we have issues with that the descendants of that wave of immigration being in tension with the you know the the majority population, and the change there though is thought it was a kind of deeply Presbyterian dour, you know very but Christianity very important, and that has dropped off entirely in the last fifty years. Like so, it has gone has been from being this deeply Presbyterian society to very very secular, and going with you know national churches across Europe, it's just gone. You Know it's the Church of Scotland is, you know, is a dying church, you know, if it's not in the ground already, to be brutally honest with I,
0: And know. what impact, I suppose, are the immigrants like the, I know there's a large Polish community there, there are probably a few Pilip- so Filipinos that, so, as so well. That, so, those,
2: you know, those um immigrant mm. communities have propped up the Catholic Church mm. of Scotland, I think. And Catholicism in Scotland has held on better than the Church of Scotland, yeah. Have to say. But the trend line is the same, we're also. You know, or you know, in rapid decline, mm. and I suppose we would say that you know, if the Catholics are falling in Scotland, are following the Church of Scotland, the Catholics in Ireland are probably falling, the Catholics in Scotland, and you see the same demographics, you know, where it just doesn't matter, you know, people don't feel the same need to get married in a Catholic church, you know, to be, uh, have their children baptized in the same way they did a generation ago, you know, and I, I think even so, where Ireland is still behind that, I, I was interested to know, you know, the, there was this issue over the document RTE's documentary, Last Priest in Ireland. Yes. There's that clip going around of Ardle Hanlon saying, Well, I got my children baptized. A Scottish Catholic wouldn't you know a cultural Catholic wouldn't get their children baptized in Scotland. You really? know, so it's still even that is going. So I think that's a you know and I think that exactly where that leads us is, you know, is is how do you operate as a faith in a country that's lost interest. And I think, you know, we obviously you know, the big topics and you know catholic and christian debate you know your are um and the benedict option and this idea which is very prominent especially in conservative circles that christianity is under attack it wants to be wiped out you know and i tend to think the more boring truth is rather than attacked it's going to be ignored yeah you know and so how do you how do you prepare for a a, a future where you've got a very small church that nobody really Lessons, mm. you know example i talk about is uh buddhism what do people think about buddhism one they don't think about it but two they're like oh that's interesting you know well, that's a bit weird you know but maybe they know they seem they seem kind of happy you know and there is something there that's interesting but that's a different future to prepare for than one where you're just you know barricaded in your benedict option stronghold with the atheistic rules at the door you know i think that's probably a more realistic future and obviously in ireland it's a bit different because it was more catholic and it was more wrapped up
0: and it was a majority as well yes
2: yes so but i think also you can underestimate how quickly people forget that you Mm. know and i think right now ireland is going through a process of kind of divesting itself of these Catholic elements, you know, the you know the Catholic schools and stuff yeah. like that, you know, the the constitutional stuff. But at a certain point, a lot of that will come to an end, and the extent to which Catholicism can sink below the surface is, you know, you probably can't underestimate that. Also, that also, how do you keep it prominent, both in public and private life? You know, I think that's a, you know that's a there's a task there for Catholics in Ireland, to be attractive, you know, and present themselves, as, in some ways that's the most you know revolutionary thing you can do, is present something that has answers that the secular world does not. And do you and, think,
1: sorry to cut across you. And do you think it's important that the church doesn't chase relevance though, that it's it sort of, that whatever it wants to offer just, it comes naturally from what it already has? Um,
2: yes and no. Obviously you have to, you know, the, the fundamental truths of the religion that you believe you have to hold truth to oh true too but you know and this is also a thing from scotland is like if you are a minority you know and the the wider population is not interested or you know you have to have a you have to be a dance a little bit clever at times find you some know, bridging points and you way. have to find bridging points you have to show that you know actually you don't want to be hostile to us we're you know we're doing good things and there's actually in some ways the do you know the church in scotland has done you know as has said you know is aware of said well actually we're, we're bringing stuff good to scotland you know and that comes from a history of being an immigrant uh community that was the wider society was much more hostile to in the past so you know at some there is like there is always a kind of in scottish catholicism a sort of we instinct to say we're all right guys we're no you can you can trust us we're we're, we're we're nice we're good you know because the, you know and that's because in the past it hasn't felt like that you know so there is a you know is it, <clears throat> i think you have to make the case for yourselves a little bit which
1: is challenging and do so in a way that's you know that's not picking a fight because mm. you'll lose the fight and i mean look there's there's a lot of talk about the importance of re- reaching to the peripheries but i mean as a minority church is there a certain sense that you're also actually Reaching from the peripheries towards the centre. 100 percent.
2: And I think you know, in Ireland and Scotland, you know, if you go back to time of Saint Columba, you know, these, these, these are the peripheries of the world. You know, these are the these that we are on the physically. We are on the peripheries. And I think still think that's true. You know, there is a sense in which we, this, is, this is still the edge of the world. And that's maybe not a bad idea for us to recover.
0: Mm. Um, concluding on this, and I suppose in Ireland, you know, for, for some context, we also have our own synodal, synodal pathway, which is underpinning the overarching uh, synod process. Is there anything of similar nature ongoing in Scotland to maybe attempt to maybe arrest the decline? Are there any pastoral reforms or proposals here? Any innovations, basically? there's lots of things (laughs) there's lots of things happening
2: yeah i don't i I couldn't put my hand in my heart and say oh yeah we this is working i don't know that it is i mean i think the thing that has always interested me about the synodal stuff is that you know there's a focus on listening which Mm. i think we haven't been good at and i think you know it's you know we're a clerical church you know and it's very easy for priests to think you know the way we form priests makes them think well i've got it you know i've got it figured out you know and that is not always true (laughs) so the need to to listen and engage i think was like that was the the thing i thought was hopeful about the synodal process that you do have to listen to the world around you you have to listen to what the people in the church are saying and then hopefully you can garner some wisdom from that i think there's always going to be a need to do that um whether or not that happens remains to, to be seen, you know, and I think the way that the, you know, it's just, the Synodal stuff has just been sucked into the wider yeah. cultural war and made, mm-hmm. made that has made that process mm-hmm. of listening harder. But I do think that the act of listening is where we will get the wisdom to, you know, move forward.
1: Yeah. yeah and I mean, I think for, for Ireland, perhaps the case for Scotland as well. I think as much as anything else, there's a need to, for I mean this is something that I've sort of been focusing on as well is actually regaining a bit of confidence in what we have to offer like you know we the church has a, a lot of good news and a lot of good views that it has to offer to the world and I, I mean look one of the perhaps one of the only things that that secularization will actually give to us is it'll make us unique again it'll show where we really stand out distinctly as Christians and and that's I think something that we we can stand by and build on and perhaps the synodal process could uh, as you say, through through listening, through broadening our reach, that's perhaps somewhere where it could be very effective.
2: And listen, I don't think you can look out, uh, look out the window and think this is a society in Ireland or in Scotland that has everything figured out. You know, there are clearly huge fundamental issues with the way we organise our society that are not just or true or fair. And, you know, the Catholic Church has things to see about that that I think will always be relevant.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much for your fascinating fascinating insights, Ruan Jones and Ian Dunn. Uh, join us again shortly, hopefully for another podcast where Ruan and I will hopefully uh, begin a more regular, regular feature together. I think that's the plan anyway, but, you know, subject to change. <laughs> Thank you for listening and, and goodbye.